welcome to Chronic Media Consumption. My name is Kelly. And I'm Michelle. And today we are talking about disaster movies. Oh, the train wreck of movies. We just can't stop looking. I mean, it's disaster movies that are intended to be movies about disasters, not movies that went horribly awry and became disasters themselves. <laughs> Which That's is a, a whole, whole other topic. Other thing. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the the love affair that humans, particularly us on the Western world, have with disaster movies. We kind of, some, some philosophies view that we have too cushy of a life. We have a separation from adrenaline and danger, so we need to manufacture it. It's, it's the first world's reaction to needing that adrenaline rush, but not wanting to actually go out them. and do something. Yeah, I don't want to put themselves at risk. But the other mm-hmm. thing that's always consistent with disaster movies, in my experience, is the importance of humans in the world and the importance of hope. They have yeah. always a uh, chance to survive. I mean, we can expand the disaster movie thing to, like, apocalypse with aliens invading and those types of things we, we don't go too much into those in, literally day. if you yeah if you look at disaster film on wikipedia because i am <laughs> it says a disaster film or disaster movie is a film genre that has an impending or ongoing disaster as its subject and primary plot device such disasters may include natural disasters accidents military slash terrorist attacks or global catastrophes such as a pandemic it's a subgenre of action films and these films usually feature some degree of build-up the disaster itself and sometimes the aftermath usually from the point of view of specific individual characters or their families or portraying the survival tactics of different people mm-hmm. end quote from my interpretation of the disaster film it's kind of a self-gratification film genre of the ability of the human race to triumph over anything and that includes natural disaster the literal ending of the world alien invasions all kinds of things and it's it's just oh it's definitely fantasy and there's some very consistent stories and plot lines that go in here the ones that are are very frequent in these types of movies are like the humans are special in some way that their ability to love cooperate to imagine the world to adapt all these things selflessness selflessness yeah Yeah, all these things make them special it's it's kind of we're patting ourselves on the back that yes we are tiny little speck in the grand scheme of the world but we are special and that's something that is sometimes in like sci-fi books but typically it is a, a very specific genre but in a world where we're exploring things in these books that humans are insignificant and a lot of people in the audience they don't want to be reminded that they're insignificant so these these movies make a concerted effort to really show this and anyone who's on here who who kind of likes exploring that there is the uh tumblr posts that humans are space orcs and the entire reddit thread humans fuck yeah that goes into the ways that humanity could be 
viewed as this crazy, basically berserker race that makes no sense to the rest of the world. And we can dive into those, some really one good of, examples there. One of my favorite TikTok creators does this little series that she calls Orion's oh, Belt Insurance. insurance. <laughs> I knew exactly what you were going to say. I love her. And it, it's literally just all of these aliens out exploring the world and their interactions with the humans that are on board their ship. And why do they do this? They are so strange. Like what, <laughs> why does this person, why is this person adopted this lethal creature as a pet? Oh, but it's so cute. Like, no, <laughs> this is destroyed, decimated even my entire last battalion. Like yeah. <laughs> having yep. to add insurance policies to, to their ships because they have one human on board. <laughs> See, she does an amazing job on that. Another one I really like is Nikhil Clayton. He has some really cool stuff that's all relating to, you know, MCU. He's the guy who does the IRS auditing different characters in comic books. But he has this new series that is about aliens invading Earth. And he has a whole thing where he goes like all the things that we encounter, like we use fire. A lot of aliens may not use fire. We have oceans that nobody's really explored deeply that are deadly. Uh, and if you are coming for fresh water and you can't consume salt water, they're going to be really confused why so much of our water is impalatable. But he had one that was very funny talking about how humans, we can consistently and reliably be depended upon to try to sleep with anything. <laughs> and and especially... It's conundrum. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yep, yep. We are. So being able to have that if there was an alien species and we were incompatible, humans would be like, we're going to try. And then we might cosplay as the aliens, even while they're trying to destroy us. So we're, we're an inconsistent and not unified race. And that mm -hmm. is very evident if you look at the world. But if you look at disaster movies, you might believe that we are all one people that are all working towards the same goal and want to make the world better. So it's, it's uh, a little bit of a comforting little blanket <laughs> of, you know, yeah, everything could be better. Imagine like the situations now, how would you react in a disaster? And most people don't really have a grasp on how they would really react. They think they do, but they don't. What I, what I love about, when we when you were mentioning the different types of people on who deserves to how they would react in certain situations who deserves to be to survive and who doesn't is i was literally thinking about independence day mm -hmm. and i'm just noticing because i looked into the director roland emmerich and the amount of disaster films that he has directed is staggering <laughs> like let me just he's done independence day both of them he's done the Patriot, Godzilla, the 1998 Godzilla, Day After Tomorrow, and 2012. Wow. He's done White House Down, which is technically a weird disaster movie. I mean, just looking at this, I'm looking at it like, he really likes the big action movies that are like, oh no, everything is about to end. Quick, let's get a bunch of scrappy young humans to figure out what's going on. Anyway, I literally thought of Independence Day. And how you've got Will Smith's character, who is a character that is very adaptable, mm -hmm. right? He 
adapts to the situation. He adapts to the fighting tactics and flying tactics of these alien creatures in order to survive and and kill the one that's chasing him. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Jeff Goldblum, who is shown as an eco-warrior. He's yeah. the one that at the very beginning, he's like, no, you got to make sure you recycle. You have to recycle. Like, the world depends on us making sure that, you know, we renew what's renewable and not just throw everything into a garbage dump. And those two people are indications of if you are adaptable and or socially conscious, world conscious, yeah, socially conscious that, yes, you deserve to come out of this alive. And also you are probably the world's last hope. It's like it's it's a really interesting take on that. But and then, then there's there's also the people that are fighting against them trying to do things because they're like, well, that's not how it's ever been done. That's not our policy because those are the people who are benefiting from the status quo, comforted by it, given power by it. They they literally are avoiding what would save their lives <laughs> because it is an uncomfy thought. Yeah. When it comes to disaster films, and I do want to, to start with something way, way back. Disaster films are not a new thing. They didn't just perk up in the 1970s. During, by the way, which was their original height, they had more disaster movies in the 1970s than they had for the past entire existence of film. That's so crazy. And then they had a resurgence in the late 90s. I'm sure we could dive into the social repercussions and reasons for why people are doing that, but I haven't yeah. done any of that research. No, neither have I. <laughs> the very first disaster film on record is a movie from 1901. Wow. Like, there's no sound. There's no color. It is a black and white movie. It is four minutes and 47 seconds long. And it's aptly called Fire! Exclamation mark. So I'm assuming they're <laughs> trying to avoid a fire. Yeah, it's it's literally, it's the description on Wikipedia. Again, it's a British short silent drama film showing the occupants of a house being rescued by the local fire service. That's it. It's about five minutes long. It's about fire that struck this house and the family being rescued. Bing, bang, boom. But that's the first on record disaster film. That's actually really intriguing because, you know, as soon as we had the capabilities to really film, we filmed something like this. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that we start with with these disaster films and the it's the draw of the like morbid curiosity of seeing things like I have a morbid curiosity with watching car crash compilations on YouTube because I am awful. (laughs) <laughs> that's a pretty I, common I one this, i love the, the russian ones the dash cam footage of Ru- yes. from Ru- oh man they <laughs> i have i have for me it's the it's the buzz of first of all anticipating what's going to happen i really enjoy that don't ask me why and also the feeling of superiority over these people that do stupid things while driving (laughs) and going like oh that you shouldn't have done that look at what happened now your car is completely totaled and you're in you know you're having to fish your your phone out of a tree you know like what (laughs) but it is that that curiosity that's what i think disaster movies are kind of fueled by yeah i agree and it's that and it's also 
the hope thing because, you know, you don't know the outcome of an actual accident in real life, but you're pretty sure that at least somebody's going to survive in a disaster movie. I'm thinking we have so many on this list. It's freaking crazy, but there's so many. We barely, we barely touch the surface. So some of them that really stand out to me are like the 1998 Deep Impact. That Mm -hmm. was one that really went into exploration of how the world would respond, how they would come together, what's the anticipation, because it it wasn't going to happen like tomorrow. They had enough time to at least anticipate a little bit of what was going to happen. And then there you get to see people make choices, some who are struggling to survive by any means, some who give up and are like, I would rather just, you know, watch my death come at me. Others who are sacrificing themselves for their children, their relatives, and, you know, saying continue on. Those who are considered and deemed worthy that they should be saved they have priority over others to get into the the safety and you know there's military power that's enforcing this and one of the things i always find interesting in these movies is there's military power who is blocking others from going in but in many cases they themselves aren't being saved they're just standing and preventing people from doing something but they're also not going to be saved and i i'm curious if they would actually do that in real life, if there was a guarantee that you were going to die, if your entire infrastructure and civilization was basically going to be completely and utterly changed, would they prevent other? Like, I don't know if they would do that. It, maybe. I don't know. And I don't think it would be a universal thing. Knowing what we know of the, at least the American society, knowing what we know of how things have been going over the last five, six years, if you know that the end is nigh, I think that this country would 100% completely abandon all of its posts. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of people who are still going to have those principles and, you know, be driving for that and view that that's their duty. And that could still exist. I just don't know how many would do that. And the other thing is how much these movies focus on saving these these cultural histories and great works and they're like we have the mona lisa we saved this we did this they want to save like the the books and have the histories of that and they're like oh we have to have the gutenberg bible we have to have this stuff and i guess that may be because it's like the westernized americanized view of things but i'm like that is not important but you know i'm not super religious at all i'm, I'm literally the opposite but to some people that has meaning and they want to you know, keep that. I like the view of it being history, but part of me is also like, you're missing this great opportunity for a cultural reset. Like, why are you trying to hold on so hard to how things are? It's not necessarily the way things should be, but it's hard to do that because these movies are a reassurance that the way we do things now is okay. That, yeah. that we are worthy of saving, that we are good people. It's very much a pat, pat, pat. Like I think of the movie 2012. It's also similar in ways to Deep Impact. They have time to prepare. People with money are given priority access. They have these luxurious suites that they built rather than planning for the eventuality of having a ton of other people you know, bunked in and sharing with each other. They didn't plan for this from the point of view of survival. They did it for a point of view of 
classism. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, some people got in on a lottery, but most people were already aware and were dignitaries, royals, important people, authors, scientists, doctors. They they flew in animals from all over the place. That always cracks me up. Like this whole Noah's yeah. Ark thing. We're gonna we're gonna fly in a giraffe and like two giraffes and two elephants, and we're gonna do that. And I'm like, that's that's not how animals and breeding works. But okay, it's yeah. the simplified Hollywood view of things, and it's also the biblical story that people are familiar with. So. But then you also see the the underdog, the person who's supposed to represent the audience, in this case played by John Cusack, Cusack driving impossibly through a crumbling L.A. in a limo. In a limo. <laughs> in a, a limo. limo. <laughs> With, in, like, ridiculous ability, drawing him him. The, a the limo fl- that is not meant to go off road. Nope. No, let alone through an office building that is collapsing. (laughs) And then like their flight out of Yosemite. I'm just like, I'm that's not how downdrafts work. Y'all are dead. (laughs) So uh, let me pedal back a little bit because in 1998, we had both Deep Impact and Armageddon. Yeah. And I want to compare the two of them because... They were basically telling the same start of the story. Yep. Where we know that there is a meteor coming to Earth that will end this planet. But that is where they split. It, they they both decide to send space crews out to try and like deal with it, but in different ways. Yep. And I think, and I'm looking at them right now, you've got Armageddon, which was directed by Michael Bay. Which, of course, means it's going to have a lot of stupid shit with a lot of big explosions and a lot of machismo, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and then you've got Deep Impact, which was directed by Mimi Letter. Later? Letter? L-E-D-E-R. And that one, I feel, is a little bit more human-based. Yeah. Like, it's more about the empathy, the compassion, rather than the, adrenaline. the like... I'm going to save the planet by being an offshore driller and taking my phallic symbols to space and blowing up, <laughs> blowing up the, uh, the meteor. <laughs> like, sure. Let's instead of teaching astronauts how to drill, let's teach drillers how to be astronauts. That doesn't make any sense. And they're like, yeah, anyway. this is going to be way faster. I don't think so. No, it's not. But, not, you can't just teach somebody how to withstand but like, that's, multiple that, Gs. That's still the appeal to the audience because the the view of separating the NASA astronauts and they're like, oh, those are other. They are far away from us. But a offshore driller, also other and far away, but is a working man. It's it's a common yeah. man. And so it's and like the common why... man hero. And that's why Armageddon did better, I think, in the box office than Deep Impact did. I'm not looking at numbers here, but I'm pretty sure that's how it kind of... Like, you hear more about Armageddon than you do about Deep Impact. Yeah. And I swear it's because it's about the working man going into outer space to destroy this thing before it can come to Earth and saving the world to an Aerosmith song while... (laughs) Deep impact is, yes, we sent actual trained astronauts into space to deal with this thing. They don't necessarily have the effect that they're supposed to, which is a little bit more realistic. Yep. And, 
you know, the meteor does hit. Like yeah. the earth does get hit and people do have to go into these shelters. There's a lot of people that do not make it. And I feel like that is a movie that's based more in reality than Armageddon is, even though neither of them are very much based in reality. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, it's a little closer, but it's not, it's still not there, but you're, you're right. absolutely right. Cause the Armageddon thing, that was very much a, like, this is impossible, but you know, because of what we are, who we are, we can do this. And it, it felt more like adrenaline action packed, and when you go in through with a deep impact, there's absolutely adrenaline moments and moments where you're on the edge of your seat, but it's not because somebody is going to be blown off of an asteroid. It's, and you're like oh, floating in space and oh my gosh, this, this individual, it's more like this, the scale of how much devastation and death could, could follow. And the realization of our own mortality as we're watching this because you can put yourself in the the place of quite a few different characters there you know are you the 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 older the the lady and her dad who are at the the, the water or the the older couple who and i think makes me think of in 2012 when one of the guys who's a politician calls his mom who has dementia and she's in a old yeah. folks home and he Oliver Platt. Yeah, and he just tells her, yeah, I'll see you next week. But he knows that she's going to be gone. And they're like, well, you could save her. And she's like, no, she's already lived her life. And she's not she going to understand with this. New situation. I literally yeah. watched this last week. She has <laughs> she has trouble with new situations. She needs to be in a, in a place of comfort. We don't have time to get her used to this. I've already written her off, essentially. Yeah. Basically, yeah. And. And yeah, and Oliver Platt is definitely painted as the bad guy in 2012. And I understand he's trying to be practical, but he's doing it in a very nonsensical way. He's he's because... doing it in a, a very bureaucratic way as well. Well, the, for me, with 2012, the the people that were given seats on these arcs are 100% people that can pay one billion euros a seat yep one billion euros a seat yep was it billion or million and it must have been million because i don't think anybody else has billions other than bezos and elon musk but it, but it was it was millions of dollars was, and millions of euros but they also had other people who were scientists and others like that that they brought in you didn't really but, see you did not really see many you scientists did, you, you saw the main see. scientist the main guy yeah um, well, there there were other people who were who were working in the the in the arcs and you know the this... ones that were part of his team that were working for the mm -hmm. the by well, I was really I it really hit me with like how much they care for people who actually know how to deal with this stuff how to how to they literally had a priority team and then anybody outside of that priority team did not matter yeah. Because the the family in India, India the oh my god, that was so alerted, devastating. Yeah, the ones who alit, alerted the one guy, the one major scientist, to the situation and told them, "Our Earth has a an expiration date. We are all going to die soon. We need to figure something out." He like the main scientist is like, "Yeah, okay, I've got a plane. It's coming to pick you up. We're going to be able to to get you to the ark, and you'll be safe with us." Except the plane never makes it. No. And it doesn't, it doesn't even, clear. they don't even try to get him. 
yeah, it's made clear by Oliver Platt's character that, like, we had to make some judgment calls. Meaning, we never sent a plane out, and it's potentially possible that they never intended Intended to to send a plane for them. I absolutely got that as well. And I think one of the other things about this was there was a huge amount of ethnocentrism and this this whole... I mean, you see the the governments that were involved in the arc mm-hmm. in in 2012. I mean, 2012 was like a, a political nightmare. But when you you see those groups, you see that the the what they're saving, you see the thing like all of the stuff that they were saving. What to me felt like some really out of touch rich person figuring yeah. out what they need for a society. And I'm like, I can't wait until you have plumbing issues. I can't wait until exactly. some, like I can't wait until you can't figure out where your food's coming from. Like Oh, they, you brought you brought two giraffes, two elephants, and like a lion on board yeah. and everything. That's cool and all. Who's gonna take care of those animals? Who yep. knows how to take care of them when they get sick? And if they don't procreate like then do? they're still gone forever. Yeah. And also, like, w- there's no indication in the movie whatsoever of what they were gonna do for food. No. There is nothing that they shows have no indication them- of their storage of their of their how long they were ready to be alive, like uh, floating on there because, exactly. pe- like, they didn't know if there was gonna be any land by the end of this thing. Yeah. It, it, it's it's so, it's so crazy. One of my favorite disaster movies. I have it on DVD because I love Jean yeah. Cusack and it's amazing. It's, and it's so just, good. It's and then Woody Harrelson's character. Like... <laughs> Woody Harrelson's character is also one of my favorites. Yeah. You've heard it here first. <laughs> I'm just like yes. As he gets just demolished by a piece of Yellowstone. And I I absolutely love the so many aspects of it. It is a highly entertaining, extremely enjoyable film, but yeah. it is also very frustrating. Because yeah, you, you absolutely cannot turn your brain on for any of that. <laughs> because it's so interesting because when you dissect it. You, you're coming from the point of like the 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 guy who is the the Chinese welder guy my favorite character by far of the entire show, like entire movie. Like he's the best. He had Mitt's plan. He was going to save his family. He was a very capable construction guy doing welding, a skilled task. He had seen the writing on the wall. He knew what was going to happen and he figured out a way to get around that system. And then because he was a good person, he and his family were good people they actually had issues because they were helping others. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I, I get that these are the main characters, but also... If like, they don't have that moral dilemma, how can you relate to them? How can you say that they're good people if they're only going to save the people they care about? Yeah. And I think that was an important part of their their story. It, it was. But it also, to part of me, and this is the, the cynical person who's like dissecting my own white privilege and all that was like of course of course they're gonna get in like yeah. because this movie because was made john for these cusack. people and it's john cusack and it's his kids and it <sighs> you look at you look at the the people that made up the main characters the ones that you're supposed to be rooting for you've got john cusack you've got amanda pete yeah two actors that you know people that you've seen in a lot of other things 
And then you've got her new husband, yep. who is some random guy. Don't really <laughs> recognize him. And then, of course, you have their two children, which you can't kill off the two children. So you know that that husband is probably not going to make it all the way through. Yep. Right? Yep. And yes, you are proven 100% correct. Yep. Because <laughs> Jonathan Cusack has to get back with Amanda Pete. Yep. Because they have to reconcile their marriage because that's what the real happy ending is. Even though, like, are you kidding? Like, I would have been in so much mourning. Like, I would get back together with you just for comfort. And then I'd be like, you know what? No. Yeah. The reason I divorced you in the first place is still 100% in effect. This does not make up for any of that. Cool. But see, I'm going to go to the singles bar. What's right? implied? Because there's got to be a singles bar on this arc. I mean, we're getting really deep into this particular movie, but yeah, what is implied that is that they weren't together. They didn't break up because he was a bad person. They broke up because he was too focused, focused on, on well, on the the fantasy, the possibility, the utopia. Like he wrote that really hopeful, positive book about humans and how positive humans could be. And so he wasn't really focused on the real world and he didn't make a bunch of money. He didn't do anything with marketing. He could have self-published that book. Uh, he could have, he, the internet was a thing, but it wasn't nearly as, as popular, but it's still like the, the tactics he had where he cared more about those things than the real world. And that meant financial issues, which is a huge impact. So like, she still loved him. She still liked him as a, a father for their children. She still admired his, his dreams and ideas, but she also was a realist and, you know, moved on. And the guy who was the plastic surgeon was a great dude. I mean, their their son yeah. really l admired him, really liked him and wanted to emulate him, Gordon. So yeah. I, I I liked that they and made him likable and they didn't make him the enemy. So it yeah. hurt more um, when that happened. And they took the time to not kill him right off the bat. Yeah. They made you like him first. And then they killed him. <laughs> and then I loved Sasha. Oh my god. Sasha. Ah, the Russian pilot. Oh, the pilot. Oh man. I love uh, then Sasha was like, Yeah, I have to do this. And then I'm like, Oh, oh, they made it. He survived. And never mind. <laughs> of course not. I love the way he talks to the plane. He's like, lift your big, beautiful ass for Sasha. Like <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so good oh but like they they did so many of those little bits where they throw in some humor it's actually a really common thing you see in disaster films yeah. where the you know in the middle of the the darkest time everything is gone every, people are likely gonna die and then they have these moments of levity that break that tension that lets the audience you know, come along with them and it it soothes you enough so that you're not just constantly because if you're tense the entire time the film isn't enjoyable you need you need that yeah. roller coaster because everything is climbing 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 when you finally get to that peak it's usually not satisfying because it's been anticipation constantly. So you need that flow and increase that goes in with like what they did in, in 2012. It's when I just, I know so well is the, the first instance when they're, they're arrested and then the realizing that there's actually crazy earthquakes that escape into the limo, then the escape again with the, the first plane and then the second plane ride and in Vegas. And the little, the little breaks of, of levity are usually somebody going, I'm sorry, how? And yeah. they're just like moments, they're moments of somebody realizing like, this doesn't make sense. 
I have to be the realist here and say, I don't understand what is happening because that's the person who is basically the audience stand in. They're the ones sitting there going, I don't know. I, you, you're going to have to explain this to me slowly because I don't, we don't have time to explain it. Just get in the fucking plane and let's go. Like, yeah. but why? <laughs> oh no, the crack is getting closer. Okay, fine. I'll get in the car. You know, like it's, it's, it's a wild ride and you do have to have that up and down and up and down. You have to, because yeah, like you said, if it's constant building tension, then there's no release. Oh, it's painful when the release finally happens. Yeah. It, it and that's really not is. a good experience. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of this film. I, I honestly, I can't remember it, but there was this scene it's a, a massive fire that's coming through. It's going to destroy everything. And there's this one person who's just hosing down their house like crazy. And everyone else is like, we need to evacuate. You need to take what you want. Somebody's like running to get their dog. And they just are spending all this time hosing down this house. And you're like, that's not going to do anything. And the whole film goes on. And then at the very end, they reveal that's like the only house that remains in that entire neighborhood. And it was all because of these people trying to hose down the house. I'm trying to remember what movie it was because I remember that, that scene. I don't know it. I've watched so many disaster movies. But that was that one of those scenes. That, that's that hope piece. That's that, you know, yeah. your your small actions have an impact. Oh, you know, we lost so many things, but look, there's this one house. You, your family is gone. The dog ran away. The aliens ate the baby. But the house is still here, you know, so yeah, there's, it's there's... little it's a little glimmer that we can still overcome, that we can still survive, that like it's not the actual end. That's what a lot of these stories are about, like 2012, Deep Impact, Armageddon. They're all about these like we must persevere in whatever way we can. We have to hope for a better future, because if we don't, what happens to us then? Yeah. And the other piece that's interesting with this, the disaster movies and that hope component that they they always tie in is they do a very good job of foreshadowing it in these disaster movies. You, you sometimes know, too good a job, a, sometimes a job where you're just like, Oh God, just hit me in the face with it. Yeah. Like <laughs> you absolutely can like anticipate exactly what's going to happen. But sometimes it's, it's just so, sweet like okay the person who is spending all that time hosing down the house it could go down but you also think that's probably going to be the one that makes it the the foreshadowing of john cusack's character being the chauffeur for this really wealthy dude you pretty much know what's going to happen from like the beginning when you are seeing in armageddon the the cup live tyler and whatever having their little couple moment you're like like pretty sure that they're going to have their happy reunion like that's good like you you can figure out what is going to be the glimmer of hope at the end because of the things they focus on early on and yeah, it's very formulaic. It's very easily anticipated and play and you know plotted, but that's also really satisfying. Like, there's a reason why these are so popular. I don't care that it's want. obvious. Yeah, but that's also what you want from a disaster movie. You don't want something that is going to just completely wreck you. Yeah, like you want those moments where yes, you feel sad for certain characters, and yes, you feel triumphant for others, and yes, you do have that moment of that reconciliation at the end, the triumph and everything. But you don't want a movie that ends in 
utter devastation because if you end it with utter devastation those are the movies that people go that was absolute bullshit why did we sit there and watch this for two hours when it was only going to end in abs like titanic titanic is a disaster movie yep and you spent that god that movie was so long and you spent the first (laughs) half half of that movie going along on this little romp this romance between leonardo dicaprio and kate winslet and oh they're just so cute and then bam hey there iceberg everything goes to shit so many people are are in trouble but you have the survivor you have kate winslet still surviving at the end yeah jack doesn't make it but like like it's it's the fact that she still survives and you know that she survives because you see her talking in the beginning of the film as an old woman. Yep. You know, like, you know that there were survivors from this disaster that happened almost, a, oh God, like a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Jesus. But you still have that, that like, oh God, what else is going to happen? Is this like, it's going to be important because he teaches her that, you know, money isn't the only thing in life. And status is not the only thing in life. You have to live your life for you. And so she goes on all of these adventures, as you see through the photo montage mm-hmm. towards the end. But yeah. like, it's, it's, you can't undercut. If you undercut, then the whole movie becomes less likable, less enjoyable for many people. It can be totally artistic. And a lot of people can really, really enjoy and understand what the director and writers were going for. But oof. Yeah, and they do a, a good job in disaster movies, um, of good disaster movies, because there are some crappy ones out there for for sure. A lot of them, a lot yeah. of them are garbage. Yeah. to be fair, but but, it, <laughs> but for the good ones, the ones that stand out, they have very likable leading men, leading women. The the they are somebody that you're rooting for from the get go, even if they're the antihero, even if they're technically a bad guy or a reformed criminal whose skill set is being brought in to save the world. Like, even if they have these issues, they're very likable. Like, I think of the oh god, there's so many films out there. This is <laughs> so many could technically be considered a a disaster movie because they're trying to prevent the disaster of the the really bad neuro agent being shot onto what is it san francisco which one which one are you thinking the rock oh the rock oh yeah i mean i love the rock that is 100 percent. i'm a fan of that i I was thinking the the movie volcano with tommy lee jones and you're just like 100 percent. i am rooting for him the whole time and you know you and of course you have all these movies. You've got disaster movies that usually come out in Paris. You have yep. Volcano and Dante's, Dante's Peak. Peak. You have Armageddon and Deep Impact. <laughs> you know, you yeah. have 2012 and The Day After Tomorrow, which unfortunately were released five years apart, but still. They kind of, they fall into that same space. And yeah. I, the thing that's interesting with these disaster movies, they do seem to rhyme with each other. You know, yeah. they're not twins, but they are siblings. And, you know, once somebody gets an idea, they're like, oh, we should capitalize on that. And then sometimes it's hard to tell which one came first. But with the, the disasters, there's there's the different scale of disaster. So there's a disaster that's caused by mankind. I think like the Terminator movies, right? That's like because somebody caused these issues and then we have an apocalypse. There's an outside force, aliens, somebody who's coming in and trying to destroy you. And then the most powerful of all, the ones that you can't fight there's no enemy natural disasters those are the ones that really get me because you're like there's no bad guy 
All it is is the raw human condition struggling to survive against something that doesn't care. It's not attacking you. It's not trying to end your life. It's literally just existing. Yeah. So looking at the difference between 2012 and the day after tomorrow, both of those were technically environmental. While 2012 was more about the Mayan predicting the end of the world, not actually what happened. Let's Mm -hmm. look. I mean, the Mayans just ended their calendars on that date. It's not like if you reach the end of this year's calendar, you think that next year's not going to happen, people. Please. (laughs) So so it was literally just like, oh, the stars and planets have aligned and the neutrinos become physical or whatever. That's not how any of that works, but whatever. I know. (laughs) And so the Earth just cooks from inside out and crustal displacement whatever i can't even say it all of that garbage is basically the earth just going oh shit my time of the month has happened and all of these things are happening right now and these people that are living on me they suffer the consequences of just this moment in history that's it day after tomorrow was literally they go you know what we're at a position right now where we are at a critical mass with climate change and the earth is going to have to correct itself. And in, and that's basically what it did is it was the earth, weather was correcting itself. There's so no. many of these I've seen. Like I've literally, <laughs> I used to just watch the, the, every one of them that would be on like the sci-fi channel. <laughs> Those are not quality movies, but they are so no. fun. <laughs> the Sharknado disaster movies. Oh my gosh. All six of them. Like literally, they they've been one Sharknado movie every single year from 2013 to 2018. Why? <laughs> I haven't seen any of them, but the clips that I've seen make Honestly, me go, "I don't want to watch that." The movie. first Sharknado was actually enjoyable. Like, was it? It's it's an insane like what the frick? But everyone in the movie is fully aware that it's insane, and that makes it enjoyable. Like, they're not making fun of it. They're actually taking it pretty seriously. But there's, like, all these moments where they're just like, what is life? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, what is life? I was literally, I was on a a live stream on TikTok this morning when I was talking about Sharknado and mentioning, like, how does one get a Sharknado? Because technically, tornadoes are only really common on landlocked locations, not ones that come over water. Those are hurricanes. But I guess they figured that Sharknado sounded better than Sharkacane. Yep, that's exactly what happened. They... And then at that point, my friend started singing Shaka Khan. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it does kind of sound like Shaka Khan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they... They've made so many of these different kinds and, you know, if you get Sharknado, that takes you down a whole different crazy path. But gosh, I, I feel like we're never going to have a end to disaster movies. There's always oh, going to no. be a new disaster. There's always going to be a new story to tell. And yeah, they're going to be very similar, but I'm going to still watch them. <laughs> I'm going to keep There's watching. And- and I actually want to point out there's there's interesting things because there are 
disaster movies that were drawn from real events, real historical events. For example, Titanic. I'm not saying the romance was real, but the Titanic itself was real and the ship and sinking was real. And the all interpretation of, that. of the ship sinking is not the most realistic yeah it's it, we're not yeah. we're not actually sure if that's why it happened we're not sure what was going on because the people that would be able to tell us d didn't survive or didn't want to tell us and that's the same thing when i'm watching where... disaster movies where i'm like that's not how science works but if it did kind of cool yeah i mean but like we also have disaster movies like like we've got titanic we have disaster movies like oh god there's actually a movie called disaster i think from the 50s anyway but there's there's been movies for example the several different movies that were made around 9-11 yep it's the movie poseidon adventure which was actually about uh -huh. a cruise ship that overturned yeah and then was remade the i love the poseidon. remake <laughs> oh my god i have watched that remake so many times Let's let's mention Perfect Storm and yep. the Deepwater Horizon. Yep, those are disaster movies as well. Deepwater Horizon. I will not give any money to that movie because I don't want to glorify the fact that a company was really freaking stupid with their safety precautions and caused a natural disaster in the middle of the Gulf. Yeah. I it's just I, no. I'm not glorifying that bullshit with Marky Mark. But there is a interesting because like those are different scale because it's like that's an individual event that happened. Like the the mining right. incident in South America where the miners were stuck. Like that's those are all movies that we can make about moments, disastrous moments and and perseverance of human condition and people surviving and yeah yeah yeah. And then there's like the whole world is ending. There's the galaxy is ending. You know, it's it. There's so much potential. In... Oh, the fifth element. The fifth, the fifth element, element is a disaster, disaster movie. movie. Ah, why didn't I put that on my list? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point. It's so good because the world is ending until they're able to get her in there as a fifth element. So yeah. I, oh I, god. I think that the potential of this area is just going to continue to be explored but you know the <laughs> the moment we're talking about this the broader i'm thinking the, <laughs> the the category is and i'm like we should probably yeah. stick to like the core disaster films yeah because i mean we could go into any alien invasion like independence day we could go into contagion and outbreak yeah we could go into which those like <laughs> i watched contagion just after the lockdown started oh man <laughs> And I'm sitting there going, oh, no. <laughs> like, holy shit, this is happening now. Yeah. <laughs> or the, the uh, I watched an, uh, a TV show that is called Sweet Tooth on Netflix. And it's based off of a comic book series. But the entire premise is that a virus causes mutation so that the mo majority of people die but anyone who is born after the virus takes on an animalistic trait so they like a baby is part pig or bunny or beaver or deer, deer. or whatever yeah. and it's not i would not say it is a well thought out or well-made story but it is definitely interesting and watching it from a perspective after going through covid-19 and seeing how people reacted and resisted and were like no this is bad but then they like many people died i was watching it and i was just like hmm this is definitely interesting 
and also it, it's, more interesting that they didn't cancel the show. <laughs> oh, I think I think it's really interesting because you and I have talked about these disaster movies before, and you and I have this plan for a, a three book series on what happens after a huge disaster mm-hmm. and and how things happen. It's going to be, I, I think it would be, I think it's going to be an amazing book series. I really, really can't wait. It to, has so to much potential. Start writing it. I can I, see it. I wanna, and I exactly. That's it. what the potential, the book is great, but I want to see it as a movie. Because... Yeah. But the thing is, is that we're not concentrating on the cataclysmic event that happened that caused what this story is about. It's the survival after the fact, which exactly. brings a whole different avenue of disaster films like city of ember like that's yep. that's a disaster film it's hunger games disaster like yeah lot, every every young adult dystopian novel is essentially a post-apocalyptic like disaster like post-disaster film yeah they're recovering yeah. after the disaster zombie land disaster film yep. every zombie like most of the zombie movies let's oh let's talk about i'm not going to talk about a book are you ready world okay. war z I'm not uh-huh. talking about the movie because the movie is garbage. Um, I love the movie. <laughs> the book, though. This is the only book that I have uh, bought digitally and then bought a physical copy because I loved it so much. I wanted to read it in its physical form. I Don't ask me why. I wanted it because this is an amazing feat of storytelling. And it's based off of, a I want to say, a World War II book where a person literally went all around the world and interviewed survivors of World War II and talked to them about things leading up to the war, things happening during the war, and when the turning point was, and then things happening after when everybody's trying to go back to normal. And Max Brooks took that template and wrote it in a zombie aesthetic. And did it in such a way that it was so compelling. And I loved how he talked about the the discord between different countries leading up to the absolute pandemonium from the spread of this disease, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then what happens when people are in denial that it's even a real thing. Until it is literally knocking at their door. Yeah. It, it just, it's, it's so fascinating. And honestly, I don't, I don't know how I immediately went there. But when I started hearing about the wonderful current pandemonium, and when somebody mentioned where it started and how it's been spreading and things that are going on, my brain immediately went to World War Z. And I was like, <laughs> this is exactly like what fucking happened in World War Z. <laughs> Like, I know exactly what's going to happen. Well, I know you love the book. I still haven't read it. I really like the movie, mostly because of the one scene with all of the zombies climbing up the wall. Climbing up the wall. Because... Honestly, that is a fantastic visual. It is great. And it's one of the reasons why I saw the film. And it's because of that that a lot of people fail to understand with zombies that if they were to exist, which there's very, there's no ex- way they would. They literally everything would eat zombies. They have so many natural predators. But 
if they were to exist, they would have none of the limitations that the human brain puts on the human body. And they would be yeah. able to function and go to that extreme. That is so freaking cool. Like with, within the book, because I, if I'm recalling correctly, I don't think that wall scene ever actually happens in the book. But I could understand it happening in the context of the book. Mm -hmm. That they do go into explanations of what happens to these people after they have zombified. Yep. And these these bodies, these mindless bodies, have absolutely no physical awareness. Yep. They only know what they're going after, and that's it. Because you, there are parts in the books where you see them literally ripping body parts off of themselves in order to escape whatever confines that they're in because like let's say their arm got caught under a rock and they keep fighting and fighting and fighting and eventually pull that pull themselves away from that arm leaving that arm behind as they continue in pursuit of the one thing that they want it's so fascinating it's, it's because terrifying. It's, it's terrifying exactly and that's exactly what it is because like i love a lot of the shamblers and even a lot of the other kinds of zombies because i am a, a fan of zombie movies as well i i like the walking dead particularly the first few seasons it got a little dicey at the end there but i do have you know some it, admiration one of my favorite games left for dead and dead rising those are really really fun video games dead rising because you can make a double chainsaw weapon <laughs> and you get points for because you're a photographer you get points for taking pictures of zombies in weird positions it's 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 something that because if you think about it in the context of the book that moment of them having literally no self-awareness other than their pursuit of what they need them climbing them piling on top of each other and climbing above this wall is completely feasible because the ones that are at the bottom don't feel their bones breaking from the weight no. of the people on top. Exactly. The ones that are climbing up, you know, have are... no care about what happens if they fall down. They just have their they goal. Yeah, they keep climbing and keep climbing and keep climbing and whatever happens to them in the process just happens. That's just it. What was actually really great in that film, like I said, I don't like the film, but the the visual that I thought was really interesting was when I think Brad Pitt gets picked up from the top of a building. Mm-hmm. And there's a helicopter oh, yeah. there. Yeah. And all of those, all of the the zombies running and just like falling, falling. off the edge. Yeah. Full yeah. speed ahead. That, yeah. Yeah. Because they have no care. They, they just see the edge and they're like, it doesn't matter. This is what I want. I'm going for it. And they all just one after another fly off the edge of that building. And it's possible that down at the bottom, once they've, once they've hit the ground, they might still be moving. Yeah, That's I mean, horrifying. Yeah. I, like Seriously, though, I really highly recommend reading World War Z. And if you don't want to read it, read it. You can listen to the audiobook. I recommend Unabridged because the voice actors that they have for the Unabridged audiobook of World War Z are top-notch. Nice. Top, top-notch. It's a fascinating, fascinating book. And I highly, highly recommend it. And my favorite scenes, there is a character in Japan this guy spends all of his time in his room on his computer seeing what information he can find hacking things online with his community when they finally learned about the zombie virus he and his group of people started learning all of this information and passed it around in their chat rooms and then suddenly his internet link went down and he mm -hmm. realizes that he's been in his room for like a couple weeks now and he realizes that 
his parents haven't left food for him outside of his door in a day or two. So he looks around and finds out that his apartment is empty. He looks out a window for the first time and sees Tokyo in shambles and thinks he might be the last living person in Tokyo. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's awesome. And he's in a high rise and he doesn't know how to get down to ground level. It's fascinating. It's such a good book. Oh my God. I could go on. I could do an entire episode about World War Z. And I realized that I may just have. <laughs> you did. It's I'm awesome. sorry. This is about disaster movies. And I went on about a zombie. <laughs> but it is it is still relevant. I mean, we can always cut out pieces of it if we decide that it's not going to be a good fit for this, the episode. But I am a yeah. fan of talking about this because i mean they are tangentially a a disaster film it's just a different genre and we probably are going to do something that's going to be more zombie focused because i could talk about zombie land forever we do have a halloween episode coming up soon so who knows if we're going to be talking about like slasher films gore or zombies or any crossover from those i think it'd be fun to talk about the scary movie franchise Oh, God, yes. And honestly, (laughs) I just finished watching all three of the Fear Street movies on Netflix. Would you recommend them? I I do recommend them. There is a a death scene in the first one that I was not expecting. And like my husband and I were sitting in bed as we were watching them. He gets up to go to the bathroom and this death happened. And I'm going, oh, oh, God, (laughs) no. Oh, no, and I don't normally make that noise. <laughs> I don't normally get that grossed out by some of these some of these scenes because they're not normally they're generic slasher films, right? Yeah. But this particular scene got me, and I was making all kinds of noises when he came out of the bathroom. He's like, "Did somebody die?" <laughs> like very badly. It was so bad. <laughs> But I do, I do recommend those movies. I think they're really fun. And I love the fact, I'm a big R.L. Stein fan. I was a fan as a kid. I read Goosebumps. I read Fear Street. And seeing these films based on, on the Fear Street genre yeah. is so good. And I loved, I loved their attention to detail. I loved their little nods to other slasher films. The entire first, like, 20-some-odd minutes of the first movie is almost a 100% rip from Scream, the first movie. Oh. And, like, I recognized it, and I was like, oh, I can see exactly, that's the slow motion, and this is how she's going to die, and oh, my God, that's so cool. You know, just, (laughs) I loved it. I definitely recommend it. I would love to talk about it. Not today, obviously, but it's, oh, it's so good. I definitely, if you want to do a watch, we should totally do a watch party. Okay. I'm down for that. Yeah, it's so fun. Cool. Okay. Well, I think we have really kind of covered everything we wanted to when it comes to disaster films at this point. We can definitely deep dive on any individual film and we could even deep dive on, as I mentioned, on the trends that we see where more disaster movies come into play probably near social unrest, uncertainty, people looking for an escape. So there's a lot of different triggers that I I believe are uh, influencing this and the popularity of these. I'd also be interested in in looking more into the box office of how well some of these performed and how well they performed long-term because there's why I would, I would like to go into why is it star power? Is it marketing or is it actually the quality of the film itself? Yeah. 
because some of these are sustained good films that people will go back mm-hmm. and rewatch. I mean, I the amount of times my my friends would be like, "It's a Fourth of July thing. We have to watch Independence Day," and yes. like that's a that movie it holds up man like it's a good movie yeah and and then you've got like oh it's christmas time to pop in die hard die hard of course do this (laughs) it's it is such a good movie but you there's that survivor component that they have for all of those so just continuing to love the disaster film genre and the awesomely bad movies that come into it (laughs) yeah and there is i like i have said this on tiktok that disaster movies in general i feel are kind of trashy because they're very formulaic they're very very you you know exactly what's going to happen with them and there's really not a lot of there's really not a lot of surprise in there and in most cases, they are really overacted. Like in the first 20 to, to 30 minutes, you always have that, my God, moment. <laughs> and, like, and it's almost always exactly the same. Like, my God, the world is going to break apart. Or, my God, the meteor is going to hit us in 10 days. What are we going to do? Yep. Dun, dun, dun. You know, and it's 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 so over dramatic, and it doesn't need to be. But like oh, watching the sound, the, the soundtracks, <laughs> the soundtracks really do carry a lot of disaster films, though, because the yeah. the build up and the sound effects. Whoever is the foley artist for some of these, my goodness, yes. like hats off to use. <laughs> How many times do you get to hear one of three Wilhelm screams in these films? You know, that ah oh! kind of scream <laughs> that you hear from the background or um, the scream off of the building. Oh, there's so many really great Wilhelm screams that once you hear them like once or twice, you cannot stop hearing them. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh. But yeah, if you want to contact us, we have an email chronicmediaconsumption at gmail.com and you can contact us now on Twitter. We have a Twitter. I don't know how I'm going to run it. Yeah, I was just going to say I'm not sure how well we're going to do with managing it but we're going to try. Tweet us at at chronic underscore media let us know what you've been watching, what you've been binging. Let us know if you think we got something completely wrong. Let us know if you if you want to add a film to the list of all of the random things that we've been talking about. Let us know if you have suggestions of what topics we should cover in the future. Yeah. We might we might read some tweets on the podcast. I don't know. If you're mean to us, We'll just block you. (laughs) But please be nice. We like serotonin and we don't really like trolls. So, I mean, certain trolls are fun. You know, not not internet trolls, but. We like fictional trolls. We like fairy tale trolls. We like. Troll dolls. Troll dolls are fun. We we don't like internet trolls. Internet trolls need to not be listened to. So, yeah. Yeah. So thank you guys for joining us on this fabulous romp through disaster films. Looking forward to seeing you guys in another two weeks. We're going to have some more great content for you. And uh, 
I don't even know what we're going to go into. We probably want to branch out from movies and TVs. Maybe this one we'll, we'll talk about books or video games. Yeah. Books, video games. I know we actually, I know Psychonauts is coming out soon. The second Ooh, Psychonauts. Yes. So I think that's coming out in August, which means I think this, I think this particular episode is lined up for an August release. If I go to my, my topic list oh, here. Yeah. Oh, this is actually, this is set for September. So I think. Psychonauts 2 releases in August, which means we might just go into... I might have already played Psychonauts at that point by the time that this one has been released, but we'll, I'll, I'll get into it. <laughs> I could talk about Psychonauts for a long time. I'm replaying <laughs> Psychonauts 1 right now. I'm playing, I, can, I can talk about Assassin's Creed and all its versions and the lore behind it and my oh, obsession totally with... Down. My obsession with Desmond Miles, I can go like his character. Oh my God. Um, so, sorry. I, can, <laughs> I don't need to rant on that right now. And if anyone wants amazing Assassin's Creed fan fiction, Esma is a, fant- Esama is a fantastic author on Archive of Our Own who writes some of the most introspective, amazing fan fiction for Assassin's Creed, including crossovers, time travel, alternate universe. She got me into fandoms I don't even like because of how well she wrote these stories. So, yeah, I just, I'm going to go reread these, actually. (laughs) I'm going to give a quick shout out to two of the podcasts that I have been following right now that were inspiration for me to start this podcast. The first one is Fine Pairings podcast. Mm-hmm. They are, it's, it's a couple of girls that sit around reading fan fiction to each other while getting drunk. And they are hilarious. I absolutely <laughs> love them. And the second one is Geeks of the Week. They're, they're two, two TikTok stars, Jay Stubes and Straw Hat Goofy that sit around and talk about all kinds of stuff. Mostly right now, it's been a lot of Marvel they're talking about a lot of different movies and TV shows that are going on right now. And they are really fun and really knowledgeable about the industry itself. And I think that they, you should definitely give them a listen as well. Hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag they don't know who I am. Hashtag so, not a partnership, but still yeah. admiration. <laughs> yeah, just straight up, like they are fantastic. I just recommend them because they're really great to listen to. And you will definitely get a laugh and you'll definitely learn from some of their stuff it's really a lot of fun and that's what i'm hoping that we can kind of create a community with a bunch of different creators of all types and yeah it's just it's so much fun this is i i honestly this is this was created out of a whim and i really really hope that this goes on and on and on and on forever (laughs) (laughs) i i also want to throw in a, a a shout out to a podcast i've enjoyed it's called two hot takes they do a really good job of reading like Reddit threads, the uh, am I an asshole lines, which are super interesting. So that's like a whole area, but they, they break it down and give their opinions and uh, reactions. And they're also hilarious. They have uh, lovely little anecdotes they can throw in there. So another cool one that, you know, we love that kind of content where it's just people chatting about things that they love or opinions they have. So I mean that's let's be fair. It's, it's also fun. It's also fun to hear people just judging other people. <laughs> I, I have a it's a guilty pleasure of mine. I really do enjoy going like, hey, am I the asshole? Yes, yes, you are the asshole. <laughs> like I'm totally into that. 
I'm a horrible human being. Let's move on. Um, All humans are. We love it. (laughs) Anyone who claims that they aren't is in denial or trying to sell you something. So, yeah. Let us know what you're listening to. Contact us at chronicmediaconsumption at gmail.com or at chronic underscore media on Twitter. We'll eventually have other social media platforms. I don't know who's going to run them. I don't know that I'm going to run them. <laughs> I'll oh, figure no. it out. They'll, they're on the internet. They exist. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. But if you, if, they come. if you guys start blowing us up on that stuff, I mean, we'll pay much more attention to it. Right now, it's just yeah. empty. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah. so, so happy to have this off the ground. I mean, literally just giving it a chance and instead of just planning and thinking and plotting our ideas, we're actually doing like, I'm proud of us. Like go Kelly, go Michelle. (laughs) Yay. Please listen to us. I've spent money on this, but I cannot get back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Oh, awesome. So thank you again for tuning in to chronic media consumption, your one-stop shop for everything. Screen stage song and page. Yay! We're awesome! Please listen to us. <laughs> I'm Michelle. <laughs> I'm Kelly! Thank you! And bye bye <laughs> <laughs>